personal self-worth can't be just validated by the tribe. I have to live, you know, according to a, a code, me and my higher power. Do I look in the mirror at the end of the day? Can that guy who's looking back at me be proud of who I am by I act? Or am, or am I getting my self-worth and value simply from the tribe or from my boss or from my, you know, whatever I have this allegiance to? My allegiance needs ultimately to be to my soul. His courage became a courageous moment with me. It took courage for my ears to hear it, courage for me to do something different about it and change. Um, and it helped him and me by doing that. And what will I regret the least? Doing this tough thing in front of me and maybe failing or not doing it and not knowing if I could have been successful and having to live in that compromised way for the rest of my life. I'm proud to share with you Tetragen, which helps you transition to a healthier, happier, and thinner you without cravings or side effects. Our metabolic hormones are the underlying problem that doom every diet and exercise program to fail. They control our metabolism, cravings, how much we eat to feel satiated, blood sugar levels, and even our energy levels. Tetragen is formulated with four clinically proven patented ingredients that help rebalance your metabolic hormones in roughly 15 to 20 days, depending on the amount of weight you want to lose. Once your metabolic hormones are rebalanced, you'll be on the path to long-term sustainable weight loss because Tetragen is the first in the world which is scientifically formulated with four clinically proven and patented active ingredients to help you reach your targeted weight in two distinct phases. Phase one, rebalance your metabolic hormones, and phase two, accelerate fat loss. The best part is that Tetragen comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose besides weight? Learn more with the link below. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Bill Treasure coming on the program, and I've had people ask me to bring him on and to talk about this topic. We're gonna to talk about courage. He wrote a book about courage building and how to build courage in yourself, how to build courage in if you're running an organization. His book was a national bestseller. It was sixth in China, uh, which is really kind of amazing. But I wanted to bring on, because I really think that courage and fear is what is our problem right now whistle we talk get into the whole whistleblower thing we get into it gets kind of spiritual too because it's really hard to talk about courage in very difficult situations without talking about the meaning of life and what you're here for and so we start getting into a little bit of that and i i think it's a well placed with fourth of july coming up i just think talking about courage and you know saving this country because we need to have courage so much of what we're lacking is courage on a daily basis so i wanted him to come on and just give us some advice you know even doing what i'm doing sometimes i'm afraid to talk to certain people because like, oh my God, you know, is it safe? And is it the right thing to do? And, you know, I go through all that, all of us do. And somebody who's in a really corrupt organization and their life might be on the line, but it's the right thing to do because they're dealing with human trafficking. They have to deal with courage. Those are the questions and fear and what is it worth? And so he talks, we talk about that. And he gives us some tidbits and hopefully people can learn from that. 
And then for my Patreons, he sticks around a little bit and we, we talk more about some of these topics. He talks and I wish I would have asked him in the main show, but I forgot to ask him about it. He has his diving career is a uh, really, really good college diver and he actually made it to the national level and he got over his courage by diving off 50 foot uh, high uh, diving boards into a 10 foot pool. pool. I think that's crazy. I'm, I have a fear of heights, but he got over it through his courage through doing that. And it's a great story. So he talks about that and we talk about a couple other things for my patrons. I also want to let you know that again, I had problems with the internet. And so we started off in video and then I moved to audio only. Sorry, my internet is having issues. I don't know if it's this side or that side. I just did another interview where the internet was perfect. So I don't know what the deal is with my internet, whether it's theirs or mine. I think audio worked great. And so that I just want to warn you, we're switching to that after the first five minutes. So if I apologize, it might be a little bit frustrating for the first time, but stick with it. This is an important interview. So let's get into my interview now with Bill Treasurer. Hi, Bill. Welcome to the program. Oh, it's so good to be with you, Sarah. I'm looking forward to our time together. Well, I'm told you're the courage master. You are, you go into different organizations, work with all sorts of groups and help them gain courage and work better. And, you know, I, I you know, I had some people say, yeah, I should really have you on the show. And I said, okay, well, how, and, and you, you were very receptive to this because of who you work with. And I said, how do we, talk about the fear that we have in this country and the courage to stand up against you know what's going on and to do the right thing there's a lot of fear i see it in my show i see it in a lot of stuff that's going on there's a lot of fearful messages out there and so i wanted to bring you on and talk about it but one thing that you had that you said that i thought was really interesting is that you said that aristotle said that courage was the first virtue that made all other virtues possible. Can you talk about that? Yeah, this idea that courage outside of the workplace in life it, for time and memoriam has been a central, if not the premier life virtue. Aristotle called it the first virtue. It makes all the other virtues possible. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian the, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he said that courage Courage is not just words, it's all virtues taken to the testing point. And so outside of the world of work, it's always been the premier virtue. You know, the Catholic Church calls it one of the four cardinal virtues. So my many different inside of work, because things like leadership and uh, being an innovator and a salesperson, those things connect to courage too. So I'm trying to bring courage into both worlds. But as a it has to be a central virtue of your life, partly because the human experience involves many encounters with fear along the way. So you're equipped to be courageous. Every piece inside of them that is capable of fighting fear and working through fear. Um, and every human being also sometimes uh, gets thwarted, gets beaten by fear. And sometimes and we have to be careful of that. We have to be vigilant against that. Well, you know, I run across a lot of people that are fearful to just talk to you know, there's a lot of people learning about the world and learning that there's a lot of corruption in the world. And a lot of people work in government, they work in police forces, and they might be in a situation where their own 
police force, their own intelligence agency is very corrupt. And it's very common, and this is a common situation that is occurring, we're really trying to clean up these institutions. What does somebody do when they run into a situation? How do they develop their courage? How does a leader help develop the courage of the people working around them? I mean, what do you do in those kinds of situations where in order to do your job, you have to develop courage, but you actually are maybe even putting yourself at risk to be able to do your job and to have courage? You know, as a journalist, it's the same way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it really comes down to, I think that Person, the the term that I like is you've got to be a loyal of being rebellious. You have to have a maverick-like, you know, piece of your soul, right? But you also have to have the the organization needs to trust you and know that when when you apply that rebel spirit, it's not just because you're a rock thrower or malcontent, uh, or you're not trying to just change everybody else and not change yourself. You've got values, but you also have to be loyal. And if people can see that, okay, she or he is fiercely loyal to this organization, and that's why they're speaking their truth. Yes. Not because they're up or something like that, but they're still genuinely care as much as I care about this organization. Then I think when people know that, then they give you more latitude to, and then they actually come to expect it and admire it when they see you do it. Well, and you know, when you put yourself on the line, then it makes others feel more courage to put themselves on the line, right? But how do you encourage people to do something like, you know, a police force when they run across corruption? How, how do you expect them to do it when um, their life might be on, their whole career might be on the line, but it's the right thing to do? You know, it's where the integrity is. And if you don't do yeah. it now, when now it, you got corruption hmm. that flourishes, right? You can either have courage and greatness flourish, or you can have corruption flourish. Yeah, this, this it's a really great question. Institutions, it uh, it almost becomes a cultural expectation that you will be loyal in a blind way, right? Like you you won't speak truth, and that works in both directions, right? Like it, it in uh, in many communities, they won't rat out somebody who does something criminal, maybe may even to the point of murder, and they're not going to rat the person because it's just the code. It's the, it, you know, they want to violate that code. That code works on the other spectrum too in, in uh, as you say, in law enforcement sometimes where it's like, look, we know that this guy did or said uh, or a thing, but the code is we don't tell. I mean, really, it's what that movie, uh, a, a Few Good Men, right? Yeah, it's like yep. they were protecting the code. Uh, you know, and then this code of honor gets dishonor, code of dishonor by upholding something that is immoral. The the hard thing is to be a person who is respected that can live your own intent self on the line and and be you know that sometimes the line is is you're putting yourself on the guillotine, right? It's like I'm going to take my integrity as my choice voice over the sense of that I need to feel like I belong in this tribe. If I tell my truth, I'm going to be cast out of the tribe. That, by the way, is a really, it's one of the reasons why being courageous is so hard. One of the things we want to tribe, and we, you know, we have our place in it. Now we see something going wrong in the tribe, and if we point at it too aggressively or in a way that's impolitical, they might cast us outside of the longer belong, and we might lose this security that the tribe gives us. So then it becomes, a, to your point, a question of personal integrity. It, to me, it comes 
down to, and I still use it, maybe the mirror test, right? Like my personal self-worth can't be just validated by the tribe. I have to live, you know, according to a, a code that's between me and my higher power. Do I look in the mirror at the end of the day? And can that guy who's looking back at me be proud of who I am by I act? Or am, or am I getting my self-worth and value simply from the tribe or from my boss or from my, you know, whatever I have this allegiance to? My allegiance needs ultimately to be to my soul. Do, can, I, can I live out of my out of my personal integrity, my sometimes doing that might put me at odds, odds with the very tribe that I feel most membership to. I don't want to do this because this is such a great interview, but should we do audio or video? I'm sorry, audio only because it keeps cutting out. And this, it's so important what you're saying that I think that um, I'd rather make sure that people can hear what you're saying than to have video. And it's, it's happening sure. too much to me lately. So, and I think people would appreciate it more if we just went to audio. Are you okay with that? It sounds good. So how do we want to do this? Okay. Okay. We're back on audio only. I want to start with this. Um, one thing that you say in your book, you talk about a, more, a moment of courage can have an enduring impact for the rest of your life. It just one courageous act can set the tone for the rest of your life, you say in your book. And that you will find that acting bravely can have a positive effect on others' lives. Can you talk about that? And, and I know that you tend to talk about things in the context of employees and workforce and stuff. But, you know, just like we were talking off air, it's 100% applicable to everything. Right. Sure. I'll, I'll give you one concrete instance. And it was, and it was, it's a work instance, but it wouldn't have to be. I mean, anybody that's listening in probably has had an experience like this, but I had a boss who gave me tough right between the eyes, oh my God, it hurt feedback. Um, it was during a performance review. Now, now for context, he didn't do it in front of other employees. He didn't do it to make me feel small and prove how big he was. He, he didn't do it to bully me. He honestly did it because he cared about me and I knew he cared about me. And we had a really trustful relationship. So that's the context. But in a performance review, he's going over, he's saying, Bill, you know, here's where you're doing pretty good. I'd like to see you pursue these goals next year. But there's one other thing I want to tell you. Go ahead and close the door. So now he's got my attention and he closes, you know, I close the door and I, I'm like, well, what is it? His name was Heinz. And Heinz looked at me and said, Bill, I'm starting to see some behavior that really concerns me because if I'm seeing it, I'm sure other people are seeing it. And the thing is, it makes sense where you are at this stage in your career, but it's going to become a drag on your career if you don't do anything about it. And Bill, I think you're becoming a brown noser. And it was like, <laughs> it hurt. It hurt my feelings. It hurt my pride. I was embarrassed. You know, I, and I'm like, well, well, what do you mean, Heinz? Uh, hey, you got a nice tie. And uh, he didn't laugh. And, and he said, Bill, if you're laughing at my jokes harder than they are funny, that's manipulation and it's dishonesty. And I don't need another sycophant and another yes person surrounding me. I got plenty of that. I need people that I can tra trust and count on. And you don't have to rely on kissing up to get ahead. Have more faith in yourself. Have more trust in yourself. Be more confident. 
say things that are truthful. And then I'm going to put you into situations where I know that I can trust that the information you're going to feed back to me is truthful. So it was, he, he was like the one person who had courage to tell me that my people pleasing behavior had gone too far. That changed me. That, that single conversation made me a better writer. It made me write more truthfully with more muscle. It made me a better consultant because now I'm more of a truth teller than before. I still care about people's feelings. I can still sometimes gravitate towards people pleasing behavior, but way less since he told me that very courageous thing. So his single piece of feedback, because he gave a crap, you know, sort of gave a rip about me, that uh, it changed the trajectory of my life for the better. Well, because you didn't want to be, once you realized that you were being a browner, I mean, you're looking like a browner, you don't want to be that pansy, you know, right. that the, the guy you hate, you know, you even hate people. Now you're starting to hate yourself for even thinking about being <laughs> a brown noser. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and, but it takes courage for him to say that to you. I mean, in the sense that he, so many people like to have brown nosers around them. Oh yeah, this is uh, this is true, right? The for on two levels. One is, yes, what I used to think, and you might remember from the '90s and back in the '90s, the word schmooze, right? Like, oh and, yeah. And some people like thought it was a good thing. In fact, I kind of think I thought it was a good thing. It was like, well, I'm just being a schmoozer, and oh, there's a schmoozer. Like he's he's politically savvy, and it was exactly the opposite. It was repulsive, right? But you're right. There are plenty plenty of frankly, weaker leaders that need to have their egos fed by people kissing their tail all the time. In fact, I, I'd say that that happens a lot in the current mm -hmm. zeitgeist. And it is repulsive leadership. It's old leadership. It's an ancient game. Um, but it lacks so much integrity. And, and so here was a person in front of me. Now, A, like I said, he cared about me. And I knew he did because I cared about him and I'd worked with him for about three years before he said that to me. But the second thing is, here was a guy who was comfortable in his skin enough that he didn't wanna be surrounded by another brown noser. And he's telling me that, right? Like he didn't need another yes person. He knows the dangers of that to leadership. So it showed you the strength of his character. Yeah, he doesn't wanna be undermined. Right, it's, it's right? to your I mean earlier point around his courage became a courageous moment with me. It took courage for my ears to hear it, courage for me to do something different about it and change. Um, and it helped him and me by doing that. And wouldn't you say that when you're dealing with really difficult situations, I mean, all I believe that you know my job right now is pretty difficult. Some of the things that I'm covering um, can get dangerous. Um, you know, if you're if you're a journalist working on some pretty sensitive stuff, and then there's you know people who are working in sensitive areas, the last thing you want is people around you who don't have integrity. Oh, you know, especially with journalism, journalistic integrity. You know all about it, and if you and it's what gets us into the the problem with the um, you know quote unquote fake news. You know, first of all, I have high regard for most journalists, and and I am not somebody who buys into this thing. I definitely do not think of journalists as enemy of the people. I think well, that that's a dangerous well, thing. Yeah, but I do think there's fake news. You gotta. That's the problem. Yes. There, there is some but element, that's propaganda. Of some degree that's of news. 
right. It it you know, even if you just have 5% that is fake, that's enough to, you know, sort of dilute the talent pool, right? And, and like uh, poison the water. That's the challenge. So as much as I don't, as I find the term repulsive, I find enemy of the people very repulsive. But the truth is there is an element of fake news. There's positioning with news, right? There's, there's how we, um, the, the narrative story angle, we're going for an angle, quote unquote. So we're going to tell a version of the truth that is highly skewed to do something, to, to rile up the people. But we're going to withhold just this essential element of the story that changes the whole context of the story. Exactly. But that's propaganda, and they know they're doing it, and it is what it is. And then now if you act out against it. Now, this is the same in, in organizations. It's the same in a lot of places. And you they, they twist it for their agenda, and it takes courage to do the right thing. Now, yes. how do you... How do you teach? Because one thing you say is teaching courage on a daily basis is one of the hardest things you can do. Mm. How do you teach it or do it yourself when it can get dangerous? For example, when we're talking about law enforcement, intelligence agencies, government agencies, which are half the workforce in our country, frankly, right? that are, you know, head, you know, run right up against a wall of of dishonesty or corruption. Right. Yeah, corruption can happen in any organization, right? The the challenge is I think I you can always sort of extrapolate the individual to the organizational eventual eventually. It has to start, you know, in which direction? It's up to you which way to start. Do you start with organizational values? Well, certainly you want an organization to have values. But just think of how many organizations you've walked into where there's core values on the wall. Um, but guess what? Enron had core values on their wall, too. So it's not enough to have them. You've got to live them. But that's true as an individual, too. I think, Sarah, that one challenge right now in the world, certainly in our country, is that people have become very disconnected from a, a sense of values and an actual value system. For one, you know, less people go to church. So th that used to be a place where yeah. we would draw some sense of, you know, values. But most people don't, I don't think, could codify for you and to tell you, here's the things that I absolutely stand for. And these are my red lines, if you will, as an individual. These are my, my core values. Um, so I think that as an individual, part of our life journey is the construction of a value system. And then it's upholding and embodying those values. Th this is something it's I'm not you know, novel or revelatory by telling you this is something that Stephen Covey wrote about in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But this whole thing about do you have as an individual a value system? And we talked about it earlier, because at the end of the day, you've got to be able to look in the mirror and say, did I live these values today? I I like um, Benjamin Franklin. I could like he probably with you as well. I mean, the yeah, it's it's, uh, you know, it's sort of apple pie. But the, but he really is one of America's great founding fathers, one of the, the greatest inventors. I mean, he's a he's a character all the way through and through. But he wrote an autobiography and he talks about in that autobiography, he tried to live by 13 different virtues. And he would take one of those virtues each week and amplify it and try to really embellish that virtue this that week. Now, the 13th virtue, the one that he just discarded at some point, he's like, you know what? I actually adopted this 13th virtue because somebody else told me I should do it. And 
I'm incapable of putting it forth. And it was actually humility, uh, oh. <laughs> which is kind of oh, funny, that's right? Funny. <laughs> but he said in the pursuit of the other 12, and they were things like temperance and prudence and courage and, and you know, good, wholesome virtues. He said, I, I wasn't, and he was trying to perfect himself. And he said, I never reached per perfection, but in the course of amplifying those virtues and moving towards those virtues, I became a better person. And he would start every single day, and this is what he writes about in his autobiography as well. He would start the day and end the day with two bookended questions. And to me, it connects to that idea of conscience again. He'd start the day and say, what good shall I do in the world today? That was his first contemplation when he got up in the morning. What good am I going to set out to do today? Not how much money am I going to get? How much, how productive am I going to be? It's what good am I going to do in the world? And at the end of the day, he would bookend it. And before he would go to sleep and he'd say his prayers, and then he would ask himself, what good have I done in the world today? I mean, wouldn't it be, I can't say that I live like that every day, Sarah, but wouldn't it be better if all of us were sort of living like that? It, exactly. That's exactly right. Because it, and it, if you find yourself in a situation where you don't feel, where you're actually doing negative by being quiet, like, mm -hmm. you know, helping corruption go or helping, you, you think of how small you feel. Whereas if you know that you're doing something good every day, your life has so much more meaning. Right. And you've met, you are, and you've met high integrity people who have so much relationship goodwill with people in the organization that they have a certain latitude to be a truth teller, that, that we yes. give them the latitude because we trust them so much. They become sort of beloved in the in the organization. I have a friend, Ira Chalif, who basically wrote a book about it called The, the Courageous Follower and the importance of being the truth teller. Um, but again, you can't be the malcontent truth teller, right? Like, You've got to be a truth teller. A sniveler. Truth. Yeah, right. I call exactly. it a sniveler, but go ahead. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's great that, that people have a sense of justice and a justice bone, and that's good. But if all you're going to do is stand outside the organization with your fist raised in the air or throwing a rock at the building, that's not, you know, it's not, you're not going to be effective in potentially being a covert operative of positive change. And so you want to meet with some reception. And to be able to do that, you've got to sort of work on the goodwill, work on the relationship building, be a high integrity person, have core values and principles so that when you do speak your truth, regardless of if, if a person is um, somebody who disagrees with the truth, they aren't going to cast you outside the tribe because they recognize your loyalty and integrity. Well, wouldn't you say there's a, there's a line that you cross? You, you have to allow people to be human beings. I mean, people yes. are going to make mistakes. They're going to have emotions in ways that are frustrating. You're going to annoy the heck out of people because you just have all these habits that are annoying. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that you have to accept people for. But there's a really hard red line of when you got to speak your truth because it destroys yourself, your country, your family, and the people around you. Yeah. This is... The, the theme of so many great novels, right? And uh, I think of The Fountainhead with Howard Rourke and because of his personal integrity and refusing to bend on principle, 
decimates his own career and gets fired from a number of jobs and such, but he was true to his art. You know, I, I think of there's uh, some musicians who've done this, got sued by their own record labels and, uh, and you know, lose a lot of followership, but, but in the long run held their personal integrity and their art. So there's a practical, you know, element that comes into it too. We, we all like to think that we're going to, you know, be the Howard Rourke of the world or, um, who is it in To Kill a Mark, Mockingbird? What's his name again? The oh. the great uh, yeah the uh, the Gregory Peck figure. I had to read that um, when I was in what sixth grade, and I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, the uh, but the, you know holds his integrity. Yep, yep. It takes the moral high ground and and such. Um, we all like to think we're going to be that person, but then there are the practical realities that set in. Am I willing to lose my job to tell this truth, to be this whistleblower? To, I mean, if you look at the statistics on whistleblowers, when, when I was writing Courage Goes to Work, it's kind of a... Uh, it's it would really give you pause to decide, do yep. you really want to be one? You know, But for, we need them. Totally. I mean, that's we need them because that courage allows other people to speak up and be courageous. Isn't that kind of the story of Jesus? Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, right? I mean, that's it. You know, basically, you silly fools, you're not awake. You know, like, open your eyes. Uh, and, but it's also the, the story of the Pentagon Papers and, you know, and, and people who... And, uh, yes. It, Everybody who stood up, stood up, stands up for something. You know, when you look at uh, Mother Teresa, she has a poem that talks about how they will, I, I should put it up here, and you've got to do it anyway. You know, she keeps talking about things. You gotta, they'll, you'll build things and they'll break it down, but you've got to do it anyway. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting. I remember, you know, so I have high regard for Mother Teresa. I like, she, she used to consider herself the little pencil, that she was like, she would write books and such, but she always felt like she was channeling God. She was just the pencil, the instrument, and God was going to live you know, to direct her life. I think that's great, right? Um, and I also remember one time that Hillary Clinton brought her into a, uh, you know, it was like a prayer breakfast or something. And she admonished the audience. I mean, she was loving in, in the way that she was, but she was a truth teller, right? And she admonished them because she is also a Catholic and she is a pro-life person and she let that position be known and there were plenty of people in that audience who were not pro-life and and i don't say that with any positional stake i just say that as there's an example of telling her truth in a courageous way to an audience that some people were not going to hear it the same way and it's a hard thing to do to speak your truth that when your truth might be uh at odds at a value system of other people well exactly that's exactly right um my audience members do not like Hillary Clinton for many reasons, but uh, I could see how that would be a really <laughs> um, yes, interesting. It, it was an eye-opening talk, right? Like, and I saw it yeah. on the news. I remember that it was years and years ago. But I thought, uh, okay, that's interesting. She brings in Mother Teresa, but Mother Teresa wasn't going to be a suck up to that audience. She was going to, you know, tell. It's that's you know. awesome. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's g give us some examples, though, like practical advice for somebody who's a whistleblower yeah. type, who's in a, you know, they're in a um, government agency that's covering up some kind of laundering, you know, money laundering, mm. drug laundering. It is going on all over our country. 
and they just can't stand their job of and and working there unless they start having more integrity and being courageous and being that person that can help our country turn around what advice do you give people like that the first would be to make sure you're a person of integrity um, because when you start telling the truth there are going to be people of lesser integrity who are going to undermine you and find an Achilles heel in any way they can, and they will dig up stuff in your past, and they will find it if they can, so that they will make it about the messenger and not the message. So, But they still should come forward, though, right? Because how do they get around that? Because there's that's the human compromise part of it. And so many people won't come forward because they are compromised in some right. way. Right. I mean, please, I, I would never be on the Supreme Court if you dig around my 1980s. Forget it. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. even know what's back there. I don't remember half of the 1980s. Uh, well, but you, you know what I mean? Exactly. That's the problem is there's human compromise. There's human compromise with, with stuff like that where you're a teenager right. and it was crazy that what they went after the... The, you know, the Senate hearings for the judge. But there's that's different than setting people up and lying and creating something in your closet that's not, you know, the human compromise. What they're doing to people yep. now are they're actually setting people up in ways that aren't true or they're they're creating a situation and it's a false impression of what they've, they're doing. But that's why whistleblowers have such a hard time. Yeah. Like I interviewed Bradley Birkenfeld, who was a banking whistleblower that ended, he was the highest paid whistleblower in U.S. history. He ended up pretty much was the catalyst of taking all of down Swiss banking. And he was the only banker that went to prison. Right. And yeah. he he came out of it and he was paid one hundred million dollars. But still, he said this was the right thing to do. And he did it anyways. Now he's a rock star. All the whistleblowers <laughs> love him. But he had, you know, he had to sit in prison. He was, he was treated like crap. I know I have another whistleblower that's working hard that he's had spent a decade of his life. He's been in prison. He's just a great guy. He's a journalist and his life has been turned up upside down, but he's doing it anyways because it's the right thing to do. Those right. people um, have the courage of, uh, they're blessed and something's the Holy Spirit or something's working through them. But what yep. about people who find themselves in those scenarios as a whistleblower and what can you tell them? How do they find that courage? Well, you know, what is the sacrifice they're willing to make? And the, first of all, there's always a long arc to the story. There is the, the pain of the moment that's part of the narrative, but there's a longer story to be told, uh, you know, with the, like you just did with the two whistleblowers that you had that in the long arc of the story, their reward comes, the, and you've got to be willing to suffer through it. It is interesting, the word passion, right? Like, are you passionate to do this, to, to, to be the truth teller, to take the higher moral ground, uh, to expose some corruption that's uh, being done and that you know about? And are you passionate enough to get through it? And passion uh, comes from the Latin to suffer. Are you willing to suffer like passio, like the passion of Christ? Uh, am I am I willing to suffer through this, knowing that I may not be able to get the compassion? Com means with the 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 uh, people suffering with me. It might just be me suffering for a while. Um, but if you give yourself the longer view and say, you know what, I'm willing to do it because my personal integrity matters. And you know what, I might go through weeks, months, maybe even years of pain, but I believe this is the right thing to do. Then you get to the other side. There's some reward for you. 
Um, I am very familiar with the 12-step programs. And there's a very common saying in any 12-step meeting you ever go to, which is, you know, you got to clean up your side of the street and do the next right thing. But doing the next right thing takes a high degree of personal integrity. But what's the choice? Do the wrong thing because it's convenient? What a cop-out. What a, what a uh, compromised way of, of living and being. Exactly. And if, if there's enough of us that come forward and start doing the right thing, then the, it won't be so hard to do the right thing, right? I mean, it takes the courage of multiple people coming forward. Eventually, it's not, the whistleblowers aren't going to be so damaged. I, I hope so, right? That's the great hope, if, if you can. That's the great hope. Okay, well, now let's, let's get to this. Let's say they aren't willing to pay that price. Let's say their family is going to be put in danger. And, but they don't want to be in a situation where they're, if they don't say anything, then they're actually uh, helping. They're actually keeping the corruption going. Yeah. It's the sin of omission. You're, you're Pontius Pilate in that example, right? Like you're washing your hands of it and, and saying, hey, it's not me. I'm just, you know, I'm just being the good soldier. I'm just going along to get along. I'm, I'm just doing what I was told. It's not my fault. I'm so there's another option, right? Isn't, can you just get out? People feel stuck. How, what do you do in something like that? How do you have the courage to at least right. leave? I do think that, well, for one, I think some people have a high tolerance for pain for, uh, or a high tolerance for low-level pain and can go for long periods of time in by accepting a low-level misery. Not me. I am a huge wimp. Uh, when I got into a situation where I had sort of low-level misery in my job and I felt like I started selling my soul, I got out of that place, uh, and it and it was pretty quickly that I did, um, because I'm a wimp, um, not because I'm so, you know have such a uh, so yeah, courageous. Yeah. <laughs> I won't I won't put up with it for a minute, right? I wouldn't. I I just it's not me. But there me. are plenty of people who do, right? Like who who sublimate themselves and who can live with a, a low level misery and sort of just resign and capitulate themselves to do it. But my belief is in this one life to live, and that I I want to etch my initials on the tree of humanity and say, I was here. And 9-11 was huge for me, right? Like I looked at 9-11 and I said, hey, life is fast and fleeting. And I don't know if I've got tomorrow. I'm not going to, I get one life. I'm not going to live it in a compromised way. I don't care if people get pissed off about that and that some people are going to disagree with me and want me to stop being an uppity and want me to get in my place. I don't care. I, I have every right to be here as much as the next person and I'm going to live this life. And that's, uh, so 9-11 was in a strange way, that profane, terrible experience was a liberation moment for me. I, I just decided I'm, I'm not going to live small anymore. And I think that's kind of where I am too. I don't know if 9-11 did it to me or just I, that's my personality. The only thing is when, you know, where do you draw the line when it's going to affect your family? Like people who are mm. in, you know, they need to step up and be courageous, but they might be compromised in a way that might affect somebody else they love. And they have to figure out how yeah. to get out of that. I think that's too much pain to live through for any length of time. Right. Uh, you know, it's so so back to practicality versus possibility, right? Like we the the practical should always serve what's possible. But sometimes you do have to do the practical thing. For example, I have a child with special needs. Uh, she has cerebral palsy and she's deaf. She's 15 years old and she is my heart. Right. She's she's 
amazing. She walks. She learned how to walk when she was five. She's in the same grade as her twin brother. They're both uh, going into their sophomore year. Um, and she has cochlear implants, so I talk to her and such. But she has lifelong special needs. It, had I not had her after I founded my business, I probably would have made the practical choice to stay where I was and not taken the risk of starting the business just as a matter of being prudent. Um, but but that's not the way life rolled for me in the timing. So I had already started my business and taken the risk of doing it and then had her. Um, but so sometimes you have to do what's practical and there's nobility in that. There is, there's nothing shameful in doing what's practical um, when it's in the service of people around you that you could harm by doing something that's impractical and and maybe courageous to a threshold, to a point, because I could use that same argument for a woman who stays in an abusive relationship, right? That, well, it's not practical and, and, uh, and he loves me deeply and I don't have the finances to get out of this. And so, you know, so you can contort the argument uh, about practicality so that it, it crosses a threshold to diminishing returns. Yeah, that's, that's a BS situation where if you're in an abusive situation, I mean, all of what we're talking about is an abusive situation. It's just whether you're risking the life of somebody that you love or not, and then make drawing that line. But there's a point, it's kind of like going to war. I think of it as going to war. When is it that you go to war and you risk everything because it's the right thing to do right. versus saying, I'm not going to fight this war. And when your whole country's in, on, on the line, you kind of don't have a choice, right? It right. depends on what it is. Or it's some injustice. Like, I just would like to think, but I can't, I honestly don't know, Sarah. I hope, I hope that if I was standing there watching trainloads of people being taken away that were all of one religion, that I would have protested and said something. But I don't know. I hope that I would have, um, you know, when I'm, I'm speaking, obviously, of Nazi Germany. So at some point, you've, you know, you have to be a person of integrity and be able to to do the right thing, although the right thing is so, so hard sometimes um, and it could, could cost you. Well, and that's why I wanted to talk to you is how do we get people to get the courage to do what's right? Because it's the only way we're going to clean up our country, because I feel like I'm on the front lines doing it every day, you know, trying to speak out, trying to convince people to do what's right. But I need more people out there doing it. You know, we need mm -hmm. more. We need we need a whole line of defense. And I'm not in an organization where my, uh, you know, I'm compromised and my boss is, you know, trafficking children or something. And I just discovered it. I, right. And so I'm talking from a very safe place. Right. But that's the kind of courage that we need is for those people to come forward and to find a place to a safe place to come forward and say, yeah, we need to. And maybe it's just talking to a safe source so they can get that information and they can still be there until they take them down. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things we do in my courage workshop that, you know, could be of value to your listeners. One is to consider your own personal sources of courage. Like what is it that, where do you draw your courage mojo from when you need to, when you need to face down a bully, uh, when you need to apply your, your sense of justice, when you need to, um, do some bold action. You know, what are the sources of courage? And I hear it runs the gamut. 
the answers to that. And, you know, so I guess I'll ask you, what, how about you? When you need to muster up your courage, what do you tap into as a source? I think I'm clueless. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm reckless. No, I, I as a source, I, I do it because it's just the right thing. You know, people ask me, why are you doing what you're doing? And I'm like, I don't know. It's, so, it's just the right thing to do. And I feel, you know, I interviewed a person. His name is Scott the Survivor. He wouldn't use his real name because it's a, it's a mm -hmm. he just, he, he was still, his life was in danger. Mm -hmm. And his story moved me so much that if he can go through what he went through, there's no reason I can't. I mean, he, he really motivated me. I'm telling you, Scott, if you're listening, you changed my life. Mm. He motivated me that I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I have to um, be fearless in, in, you know, covering corruption and covering these things and helping our country move forward. And that, um, and helping others get to that point of having courage. Because if he can live through what he did, and he, he came out on my show, first time ever talking publicly, if he can do that, I can do what I'm doing in the safety of my own right. home. Right. So it sounds like you do get some, one of your sources are, are even your guests, right? Like the, you get uh, inspiration from somebody like Scott, and then it starts to hold you, you accountable. It, it's really, it rewinds to the very first thing you said today about that one person's courage can become the magnification of your own courage, can become the activation. Which is what you, that happened to you. Right. Exactly. So this is the importance of being a courageous role model. Um, so sources of courage that I hear, I'll hear people say prayer that is to get, make a sense of inner strength and calm and peace and, uh, and a sense of confidence and they're willing to move forward. I have heard people say rock and roll anthem music. Like when I listen to some good, you know, put on some good U2 and I've got the rebel sound and I'm going to, it makes me want to take on something. Um, a, a good mentor who I trust and believe in and believes in me becomes somebody who empowers me and then I'm willing to do something. I hear it, it really runs the gamut. But this importance of being, a, so first of all, tapping into your sources. What are your sources of courage? A second thing I would say is that it's good to consider your own family lineage when you, you're, there must be heroes in your own family, many of whom have probably departed, that, that you look at with some degree of admiration because they were, maybe they, uh, you know, served in, a, in an army and they were in the war or the big war, like World War II or one, um, or they were an entrepreneur, they started something. Um, in my case, my great grandmother left the shores of Southern Ireland when she was 17 years old. And I knew her until I was about 10, and she never went home. She, she came to America, and that was it. And had she not done that, I wouldn't be alive, literally. And I got to see where she was born and lived in Ireland in the little thatch-covered house in an alfalfa field west of Kilkenny. And, uh, you know, think of the immigrant experience. Many people, you know, I had Norwegians and Irish, and they left for a better, you know, world and came to America. So in your own family— and if you rewind, even to the people that have gone and departed, who are the heroes? Who are the people who did the courageous thing? And then take that contemplation a step further and think, what would they advise me today? Now that I'm up against, do I you know, expose this corruption and do I uphold my integrity and such? How do you think they would advise you? They would tell you to do the thing, right? So how can people learn more about you? Get your, you have a, 
I think you have a book that just came out, which is all about this, but you also do consulting and work with different organizations. How can they get hold of you, get your book, maybe get a hold of you to work with their organization? Where do they reach you? Sure. Well, for one, they can go to couragebuilding.com. So just courage building, just like the word team building, couragebuilding.com. My uh, 10th anniversary edition of the book, Courage Goes to Work, came out this month. It is for the first time in paperback, Courage Goes to Work. That book became an international bestseller, including, you know, without any, for some reason, we're not sure how it happened, but it became the sixth best-selling management book in China, of all places, in 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was, uh, was kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, and then if they Google my name, Bill Treasure, even BillTreasurer.com. So there's plenty of ways that uh, your listeners can, uh, you know, sort of figure out how to find me. Um, but I, my encouragement to them would be to always hang on to those two words, be courageous, right? Like you've got one life to live and this is it. And it's not a dress rehearsal. And once you're on the other side, you're there for infinity. So you don't have room and time to play small. You, you, you have almost a moral obligation to live in a courageous way. Every one of us is a little bit afraid of something that's, that's just part of life. But we got to get on with the business of living, and that means you know putting forth our courage. So ask yourself, where am I playing it too safe? Uh, when's the last time I did something for the first time? And what will I regret the least doing this tough thing in front of me and maybe failing or not doing it and not knowing if I could have been successful and having to live in that compromised way for the rest of my life? Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. Will you stick around a little bit for my Patreons? Heck yeah. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. I appreciate it. (laughs)